Well, happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Glory be to God. I'm just going to uh, grab two scriptures here. My first text is from um, Genesis 2, verse 7. And it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust, drawn from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And uh, my next uh, text is from Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. It says, God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved in our union with Christ Jesus. He raised us up with him to rule with him in the heavenly world. Glory. <laughs> so I'm going to, we're going to start back in Genesis because really Easter is about the garden. But I hear a lot of Christians say every now and then, you know, you know God's going to get us to be like Adam again and back in the garden again as it was in the beginning. But that's not how it's going to be. It's going to be way beyond that. It's going to be way beyond anything you could ever dream or imagine. And so we're going to go through a few texts today and hopefully by the end of uh, this sermon you shall get it. Okay, and what Jesus really did on the cross is way beyond anything that we could even begin to comprehend or understand. And you think, well why then talk about it if I can't comprehend or understand it? Because you need to get it by revelation. Because when you understand who you are, and what you are in Christ Jesus, it will do away with the, mm, I don't know, the kind of mould that we have um, made ourselves susceptible to. We put ourselves into a mould saying, this is what Christianity is, this is what I am, that's it. And a lot of these moulds have come about through religious tradition and theological concepts, etc. But it isn't necessarily a biblical one. So hopefully by the end of today, uh, God willing, we'll begin to have a, an inkling of understanding of what Jesus really did when he died on that cross. So obviously it all starts back in Genesis 1. So, um, and in the beginning, it says uh, from verse 28 of Genesis 1, uh, well let's move it from 27. It says, God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. And it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, the first thing that God did when he created Adam and Eve was that he blessed them. Sometimes we can have a, a misconception about God that somehow he's a bit of a stingy God that, you know, he's a bit moody, he's a bit grumpy, or depending on how I behave, or depend on how he loves me, right? Okay, so a kind of a behaviour-led kind of grace, which is really a dangerous thing to get yourself into. But here, right in the beginning, God's just lavished them with blessings. And when God speaks, it has to come to pass. Jeremiah 1.12, God watches us over his word to fulfil it. And if God speaks a blessing, it has to come to pass. Amen. And so this was their wedding gift. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, 
subdue it and have dominion. You see, Adam and Eve were created by God in his image and like God who has dominion over everything, he made a creature in his image and because God is a good, benevolent, sharing God, he was like, okay, I'm going to give you a piece of my dominion and I'm going to let you have dominion over the earth. God will have dominion over the heavens, etc. I mean, God still rules everything, but he's entrusted dominion to Adam and Eve. Now, dominion doesn't just mean that you just get to boss people around and do your own thing. Actually, dominion is also about responsibility as well. And that's, that's something I think sometimes as charismatics, we're, we're always like, this Lord, give me dominion over the devil. Lord, give me your anointing. Give me your power and all this kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, but there's a responsibility that comes with that as well. So God blessed them, Adam and Eve, with dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. But of course, then happened that fateful day where Satan came into the Garden of Eden. You all know this story very well. And one of the Satan's tricks that he likes to do is he focuses on the prohibition. He focuses on the one thing that you haven't got, the one thing you can't have. Adam and Eve had everything. God, when he created this earth, he placed them in this wonderful garden, provided them with paradise, provided them with everything that they need. All their needs were met according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There was nothing, nothing that they wanted for. And yet Satan comes into this garden and said, you know, you can eat of all these trees. Well, we can eat of all trees, but put that one tree. And then Satan homes in on the one thing that they can't have and he makes that the everything. They can have, they've already got everything, but he focuses on that one thing. And as we know the story, they ate of that fruit and then they fell. But you see, why would Satan do this? It's a good question, right? Well, if you turn to Psalm 8. Now, this comes from ancient Christian theology. It's not something that's spoken of so much, but it was surmised, and, and in Jewish tradition as well, it was surmised that Satan was envious of man. Because what is man? You are mindful of him. Look at me. This is Satan speaking here. Look at me with all my glory. I am the chief ark. Uh, cherubim. I, I deal with all the worship. I stand before the presence of the Most High and I am glorious and I am mighty compared to all of the other angels. Yet what is this creature on down there on that earth that you get off your throne at the cool of the day and go spend time with him? What is man that you should be mindful of him? A mere mortal that you should even take notice of him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, as it says in the Greek, or lower than Elohim, as it says in the Hebrew. You have crowned him with glory and honour. You have crowned him with glory and honour. Now, everything in this world is clothed. The ground, the soil has grass on top. An animal, uh, I don't know, a cow, and it's covered in a hide. A horse has its own covering. Um, sheep have wool to cover them. But what did humans have? Because it says here that we are covered or we were crowned with glory and honour. I remember a long time ago I looked into um, skin 
and pigmentation on skin. And, and the reason why we are the way we are, in part, obviously it's to do with DNA, but is actually dead. This is dead skin on top that gives, in part, the color to our bodies. And so I asked the question, well, what would it look like if our skin was completely alive with no dead cells in it at all? And the answer was, you would become translucent or transparent. So people would actually be able to see, see inside you a little bit. And if you were then clothed with God's glory, you would be glowing with the glory of God. You might go, oh, Chris, this is just nonsense. Where are you getting this in the Bible? Well, does it not say in Daniel that at the resurrection of the dead, you will shine like... Oh man, what's going on today? You will shine like stars. The sun, it's pretty bright, right? Okay, science calls it a star, let's go with that. Okay, so the sun, you will shine like the sun. You will shine like stars, okay? That was your destiny in the past and it is your destiny in the future. You will shine with the glory of God. So man was clothed in the glory of God. And of course, when they then took of eight of that fruit, Suddenly, like a light, it went out. And immediately they knew that they were naked. And this is the silliness of the sinful mindset. And this is the silliness of religion. Immediately they try to clothe themselves because they knew that they cover themselves, sorry, because that's an important word, it's covering. They wanted to cover themselves because they knew immediately that they'd come out of the covering of God's glory. And so what do they do? Uh, 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 oh, a fig leaf. They think that's going to do it, all right? And, and they're, they're in the garden. Satan has deceived Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve have completely blown it. And then comes the first animal sacrifice to cover them. An animal has to be slain so that garments are placed upon them. Now, we don't know what animal was slain, but we can all have a pretty good idea because God's very much into poetry. It was probably a lamb that was slain and then God made them garments to cover them with that. And then, of course, throughout all of history, then sin came in. But you see, one thing that really, really is terrible that happened in that moment. You see, when man was under the authority of his word and under the authority of his glory, and when Adam and Eve listened to the lies of the, of the devil, they immediately came out of the covering of God, came under the covering of the father of lies. They lost their power. They lost their dominion. They lost their authority and immediately became subservient to Satan, who then immediately became the God of this world. And he's been ruling this world ever since. And look how it's turned out. And the world, they just follow him blindly because they know no better. But oh, praise God, something good was coming. Hallelujah, the right back there in the garden, that was that ancient, ancient, ancient echo of Sunday's coming. And we turn to Genesis 3.15, where we have the first prophecy in Scripture. And this is where God is speaking to the devil. And he says, I will make you enemies. You and the woman, your offspring and her offspring, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so from the first Eve came death. But then another Eve would come in the future who would give birth to one who would crush Satan's head. Death and destruction came from a woman. 
death and destruction, sorry, uh, life and peace would come from a woman. I remember seeing this lovely painting once, and it was called Mary Consoles Eve. Don't worry, we're not going Catholic, in case some of you are worried. And it's called Mary Consoles Eve. And so Eve is stood there, and she's crying, and she's got this serpent wrapped around her leg, and the head of the serpent's over here. And then Mary, who's heavily pregnant, is consoling uh, Eve while she's got a heel on Satan's head, because that which is in her is going to crush Satan and deliver man. And there it is, right there in Genesis 3.15. The plan of redemption, the plan of salvation. But hey, Jesus was already the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God already knew, there's no surprise. When he, when he even conceived the idea of the earth in his mind, he knew how it was all going to play out. He knew Satan was going to do his thing. This is all a part of God's ultimate plan. And so the, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Was he always eternally the lamb that was slain? I don't know. Towards the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ in the, in the Old Testament, somehow because eternally he always was going to become a son of Adam, to be the one that would deliver us from that Adam and the sin and the death. And you see, it says in Romans 5 that sinfulness and the sinful nature of sin and death comes through Adam, through the man, and comes through that way. And that's why when Mary was made pregnant, it came, the seed came from God the Father. You see, Jesus was born not of seed that is perishable or corruptible, but of incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, because Jesus is the word of God, and he prophesied his own incarnation, and that word that God watched over it to perform it. And, to, and many thousands of years later, there was that poor little country girl just minding her own business, and one day an angel appeared to her and said, these things are going to happen. There's going to be one that's going to come through you that's going to save the world. And she said, Lord, at your word, let it be done and instantly she was made pregnant overshadowed by the spirit of God the word of God who is in the beginning God is God spoke the word into being and Christ in the Mary's womb enraveled himself in human flesh because he had to be born of the line of David to be the Messiah of the Jewish people and so he took on her DNA and took on her humanity. And Mary gave birth to this wonderful, wonderful thing. Someone who is fully human and fully God. Because it says in the book of Job, uh, Job intercedes, it cries out, it says, Oh God, if there was only one that could intercede between man and God. And the answer was in Jesus, who is fully man and who is fully God. Hallelujah. And so Jesus came and he dwelt amongst us. But he was always known as son of man. Now that word son of man, it literally means son of Adam. So Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man, in the Hebrew it says Adam there, of dust drawn from the ground. And the word for ground is Adama. So, so Adam is made from the earth. He is earthy. And, but then it goes on to say, but God breathed into his nostrils. Now, I, I, when I looked at the Greek for this, I thought, oh, it's going to be theopneustos, where God breathes and stuff like this. But it wasn't. And I was surprised to know that this word only appears twice in the whole Bible. 
This is no ordinary Greek word here. And I'll tell you where the second scripture is towards the end of this sermon, because when you hear what it means, it will blow your mind. So here, Adam had something very special breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and he became a living being, a living soul. And Jesus took on the likeness of the first Adam and dwelt amongst us and did signs and wonders and showed us the glories of the kingdom of God and showed us the glories of the Father. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And often as Christians, we, we don't have a problem with Jesus, do we? Because he's the nice guy, right? Oh yeah, Jesus is a nice guy, but the Father, man, he's the moody, grumpy one. I don't, I'm not sure if I can really relate to him. Nonsense. Everything Jesus did is because the Father told him to do it. Therefore, whatever Jesus did, it was because it was the will of the Father. Therefore, whatever Jesus did... It was really the Father doing it. And Jesus, who is the physical form of the invisible God, was manifesting the heart of the Father. And so when Jesus went down and washed his disciples' feet, it was none other than Father God, the creator of everything, washing man's feet. Now I can hear some of you like having a theological with that. But there is only one God. We don't, have, we don't worship three gods. There is only one God. And they are completely in unison with their will, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And therefore, whatever Jesus did, it was because it was the Father's will and the Father's intention. And everything motivated by God was motivated by his love. For it says in, uh, I think it's in 1 John, it says, God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the reason why Jesus came in part, is he doesn't want man to perish. He doesn't want man to go to hell. Because you see, hell was created for the devil and his angels. You and I go to who our God is. Wherever he is, that's where you will be. So who do we serve? If we serve Satan, then we will go where he goes. If we serve God, we go where he is. And so Jesus dwelt amongst us. And then finally came that fateful day in the Garden of Gethsemane where a great battle took place. And there he said, Father, not my will be done, but yours. And then later he went to the whipping post. And as those as those whips tore into his flesh, God was literally cutting covenant with you. You see, every animal of the sacrificial, in the sacrificial system had to be flayed and slayed. And, and that animal was whipped and, and, and pulled apart. And in that moment, God cut covenant as he struck his own son through those Roman soldiers, slashing into the skins of his son's back. God was cutting covenant for every one of us in this room. By his stripes you are healed. By his wounds you are healed. It's a done deal. So God cut covenant at the whipping post and took care of all of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of the human condition. And then Jesus had placed upon him the crown of thoughts. You see, everyone, a lot of people think that the whole cross is just about us. 
It's not, it's about several different things. And the reason why Jesus wore a crown of thorns upon him is because the crown of thorns represents the curse on creation. So that when Jesus comes back, you see the creation is groaning, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. And when Jesus comes back, because of the crown of thorns, all of the curse will be broken at Jesus' coming. Hallelujah. So when you go to Sainsbury's during the millennial reign, your grapes are going to look absolutely luscious. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Yeah, there won't be a Sainsbury's, don't worry. <laughs> but when Jesus died on the cross, you see, he didn't just die for your sins. He, he, he dealt with several key things. You see, firstly, he had to take back the keys. He had to take back the authority that Satan had usurped off Adam. You remember when Jesus was being tempted and Satan came to him? and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Just bow down and worship me. Satan had every right to offer them to him because Adam gave him the keys. So see, Jesus had to get back those keys. And see, this is why in the scriptures it said, if people knew, what would ha if people knew the power of Jesus' crucifixion, the leaders would never have crucified him, never would have done it. Because you see, his death was key to life. And as a seed is sown into the ground, a seed must go into the ground and die. Jesus himself, who is the son at that stage, he was the son of Adam and son of God. Then he went into the ground so that when he came out of the ground, he could create hundreds and thousands and millions and millions and millions of more seeds just like him made in his image. Because every plant that's grown will always produce fruit and seed according to its kind. And you in this room have all been born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. Hallelujah. Therefore, there's something in you that is not of this world. There is something in you that is of literally the DNA of God, the father that has been spoken into every one of us and has made you come to life. Hallelujah. So anyway, so Jesus dies on the cross. The first thing he deals with is the satanic rebellion. And he deals with Satan. I love it in Colossians where it says that when he was on the cross, he made a public spectacle of all the evil, wicked powers and principalities and dominions by disarming them. Hallelujah. He disarmed them and he took back the keys. Glory be to God. Woo! Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Man, we haven't even got to Sunday yet. Hallelujah. And then, of course, he died for our sins. But when Jesus went and died for our sins, he didn't just die for your sins. He became the fulfillment of the first six chapters of Leviticus. He became the burnt offering. He became the grain offering. The grain was to be crushed and bruised when it was offered to the Lord. And he was crushed and bruised for our iniquities. Hallelujah. The chastisement that was upon him was to give us peace. Glory be to God. And then there was the covenantal sacrifice. So Jesus, through his sacrifice in Romans 5.1, states that we now have peace with God. Hallelujah. Then we have in chapter four, uh, we have the sin offering and that dealt with all kinds of sin, accidental sin, deliberate sin, willful sin, and even sin that you haven't even been aware that you have sinned. So that's good news, right? Because many of us Christians, when we look back on our lives, we're like, man, how did I even live as a Christian? Like, that? How do you even watch that stuff on TV? There's an offering that's dealt with that. Hallelujah. That's only ignorance, mind you. So if you are knowingly watching something you shouldn't be watching, well, that's, uh, that's more intentional sin. But it's still covered. Glory be to God. But don't push your grace. 
Um, and of course, then there's things like um, the ordination offering that was given up so that the priests could be made priests unto God. And because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you are now all, through his blood, ordained into the priesthood of the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Oh, but that's still not it. No. Then he dealt with, as I said, he dealt with, uh, what did he deal with? He dealt with the devil, dealt with that angelic rebellion. He dealt with our sins. He dealt with the issue of creation. But through his death, he did something inc absolutely incredulous. Incredulous. Go with uh, to Psalm 139. Most of the Psalms are all about Jesus. We know from Ephesians 4 that Jesus went down into hell, because that's what it says. And he, when he was down there, he took captivity captive. That's a phrase that's only used in one other part of the Bible. And it's to do with when, say, some good guys have been taken hostage by the bad guys, you go in and go and get the good guys from the bad guys. And it's called taking captivity captive. Okay? So when Jesus went down into hell, he took captivity captive. All of those saints that were, that were stuck down there, he took them all and brought them to glory. And in verse 15 of, one, of one, Psalm 139, he says, My every bone was known to you when I was being formed in secret, fashioned in the depths of the earth. Because brothers and sisters, he went into that grave as the son of Adam, in the likeness of Adam 1.0, the original Adam. But when he went into the belly of the earth and he came out of that ground, he became a new creation, glory be to God. And he was wasn't now the seed of the old Adam, he was, he's now the new Adam, Adam 2.0. 1 Corinthians 15 says he is the second Adam. He is not like the first one anymore. He is a whole new kind of deal that came and rose from the dead, glory be to God. And now because we believe in him, we are now a new creation, a new species as it says in the Greek, going from one degree of glory to another, filled by his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, glory be to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Jesus! Hallelujah! <laughs> Our God is so great, but we love to put Jesus into a little religious box. Yes, amen. And we don't know the power that's within us. Because as Jesus, it says in 1 John chapter 4, it says, As he is, so are we on this earth. As he is, well, where is he? Seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all powers and principalities and dominions. And what does it say in Ephesians? We are seated with him in heavenly places. Well, where's that? At the right hand of the Father, far above all powers and principalities and dominions. Oh, yes, brothers and sisters. Then the Lord God, see, Jesus was born again. Not in the way that we get born again, because he obviously wasn't a sinner. And he's God. He doesn't need to get born again in that sense. But he went into that ground as Adam 1.0. But when he came out of that ground, he became a new creation, the firstborn of a new race, the firstborn from the dead. Hallelujah. And because he is the firstborn, he has the preeminent. He is the preeminent son. And that's why he has the, the place and the honor and the name that he has. But we all inherit everything that he has. You might feel some poor, you might look at your bank account some days, I feel so poor. 
But actually you are rich by far. You are richer by far. And you see, brothers and sisters, Jesus, oh, glory. Because he went into the ground and died. And you and I are now part of that seed, that incorruptible word. And we've grown up that we are to be literally Jesus to wherever we go. We have, like he did and does, have the living spirit of the Father within us so that we can minister, so that we can lay hands on the sick. But you see, this is, this is my favourite bit. And it says here, The Lord God formed man of dust drawn from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now remember, that word is only used once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. Do you want to see where it's used in the New Testament? Some of you do. What about the rest of you? Yeah? Yeah, okay. All right. So let's first of all, the Greek word here is emphuseos. Sorry, emphuseo. And the other, the other time it's used is in John chapter 20, verse 22. John chapter 20, verse 22. Now remember, this is what made Adam a living soul. I'll take it from verse 21. This is Jesus has resurrected now. Again, Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, as the Father had sent me, so I'm now sending you. Okay? And he breathed on them. It's exactly the same word and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That same breath which Jesus breathed into Adam, he now breathes into his disciples so that they can now become new creations, born again and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Whereas the Adam was bound on the earth in the olden days, he couldn't go to heaven. But now you are on the earth and seated with God in heavenly places and you can come boldly to the throne room of grace. And when you die, you'll be resurrected. And when Jesus comes to this world, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and you will get to be in the new Jerusalem. We won't be hanging out in the garden anymore we will be in the heavenly new Jerusalem where there will be no temple anymore because there'll be no sin and no sacrifices but God will be the temple and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit will reside with man forever hallelujah and if that doesn't get you excited then I don't know what will hallelujah Jesus glory be to your name hallelujah oh glory And so I'm just going to end with this, because remember, in the beginning, it started with man being given dominion. okay? but we lost that dominion because we gave it to Satan. And it was only dominion of one realm, the physical realm. Hallelujah. You turn with me now to Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Man, this must have been a day of days. Then Jesus approached his disciples and said, I have been given all, all of it, all authority in heaven and on earth. Well, good for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But then what does he say? Now you lot go in that power, 
in the power and the anointing of the heavenly authority, in the power and the anointing of the earthly authority, I've given you keys to bind and loose in the heavens and upon the earth. I've given you my spirit. I've given you the power. I've given you everything you need. Now, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples and tell them this gospel, this glorious gospel, this powerful gospel. Hallelujah! That man can be created and made into a new creation. Hallelujah! 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 Oh, Jesus is a good God. He's a powerful God. Blessed be his name. Man, some of you, you're, you're a bit wet. Your wood's a bit wet. You should be on fire. It should be burning. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. This, I tell you, I tell you what, when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you can't wait to get out that door and tell someone about the goodness of God. Hallelujah. I want to end today with, uh, whew, breathe. I want to end today with, Something I felt the Spirit has been challenging me on over the last few days. And it's like, I've really just caught a revelation of, of what we are in Christ Jesus and what Easter is about and the power of the resurrection and what Jesus has done for us and given to us far transcends anything that we could ever even begin to imagine. And I don't think we even walk in one-fifth of what God has done for us as Christians because we just don't think about it. We don't ponder these things. And I felt Jesus say to me, I want you to make a diary and write down how many times each day you are being Christ Jesus to the people. Now, I'm not God, don't don't get me wrong, but how many times you are being Christ Jesus to those around you? How many times have you done something where when people meet you, they are meeting Christ through an act of kindness, through laying on of hands and, and praying for people, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, Oh, but we're British. We don't do that. (laughs) Hallelujah. Anyone here prayed for someone to be raised from the dead? Come on, probably a lot more than you realise. You prayed for me, didn't you? (laughs) All right, yeah, yeah, that's me then. I'll put my hand up. Yeah, I was one of those. Okay, good. And, And it worked, right? But there'll be sometimes you'll pray to raise people from the dead and they might not rise. But it's okay. They don't care. So they won't be embarrassed about it. So, so just, you know, just be bold. Just do things. You have the, li- the trouble is, we need to believe who we really are in Christ Jesus. Because these are the signs that those that will doubt, they shall not lay hands on the sick and they shall not recover. But Jesus says, these are the signs that will follow those who believe, hallelujah, believe, hallelujah, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, preach the gospel, baptize people in the spirit, they'll speak with new tongues, glory be to God, and the devil will be cast out. We have a mission, we have a mandate, and he's given us everything that we need because through the power of Easter and the resurrection, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and freely you've received now freely give it in Jesus name. Amen.